art is to be enjoyed, to be seen. And it's not, it's not meant for the elite. I don't think, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe it's only meant for people who can afford it. You know, it's like, would you say the same about music? Hi friends, you're listening to Art and Magic, a podcast where we connect all things practical, magical, and really real when it comes to walking the artist path. I'm your host, Devin Walls, painter, mentor, and dreamer. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. Today is a bit of a pinch me moment on the Art and Magic podcast because our guest of honor is Dan Lamb, and I'm a huge fan of Dan's work. When she said yes to this conversation, I was beyond excited. It was really powerful to get to talk to an artist who's so full of experience like Dan is, and who's also holding down these really healthy and important perspectives for the whole artist community, which I think you're going to hear as we dive into the interview. Her and I covered a super broad range of very interesting topics, in my opinion. And after just re-listening to the recording of our conversation, I almost titled this episode, Dan Lamb is Awesome, because that was just my genuine feeling in hearing what she had to say about things that, you know, she I don't really hear um, talked about very often. Things like, you know, why beauty is often dismissed in a more highbrow art context. We got into a negative comment that came across her Instagram that alludes to this issue of gatekeeping in the art world. We jammed on some of the stigmas that are put on artists. We talked a little bit about psychedelics. And then we also dove into, you know, advice that Dan has for artists who want to create something as unique and powerful as she has, which I know everybody's really going to appreciate. So I'm, I'm just beyond honored to be sharing this conversation, and I have high hopes that Dan will come back for a part two. Okay, so before we dive into the conversation, just a couple logistics for the podcast. Um, if you haven't already left a review and you're a listener of the show, please, please do so. It means so much to me personally. I check often, I celebrate when they come in, and it really is the number one way that the show can grow and these episodes can continue to come out. Another great way to support is to follow us on Instagram. We are at Art and Magic Podcast. And if you'd like to see what I'm up to, I am at Devin Walls Art. Sharing about this episode on Instagram and tagging the Art and Magic account is really one of the number one ways that this show is able to grow as well. So that is so appreciated. Okay, so onward with the conversation. If you don't already know Dan Lamb, she's known for her bold and unique sculptures, and she rose to popularity and prominence through social media, particularly Instagram. Her body of work ranges from gallery exhibitions to large-scale installations to brand collaborations. She exhibits in the U.S. and international. She was born in the Philippines while her family was immigrating from Vietnam to the United States. She was raised in Texas, where she received her Bachelor in Fine Arts from the University of North Texas in 2010, and she received her Master's in Fine Arts from Arizona State University in 2014. She currently resides and works in Dallas, Texas. So without further ado, I give you this amazing conversation with Dan Lamb. Okay, so Dan Lamb, you are here. I am beyond excited. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here too. Great, great. So I'm obsessed with your work, which I told you before we started. 
But for those who haven't seen it, could you just tell us a little bit about it? And then I'm also really curious about what drew you into making these these drippy, blob-like, kind of in my mind, psychedelic sculptures. Mm -hmm. So it's always hard for me to describe them in words, um, but I would say they are, I guess, blobby, drippy, organic, colorful, um, a little out of this world. Yeah, definitely like a visual experience, I think, seeing them. And what drew me to them, I would say, really, for me, a lot of it is about process and materials. And so it's like I have an idea in my mind of what I want to create, and I find the materials that allow me to do that. And I think, I think it's very natural, like how, how I came upon the style that I, I have now. Um, but the other thing, too, is I, my background is actually in painting and drawing. And mm. I during schooling, I found it to be a little constricting, like restraining for me. And so I kind of had to just like break out of the mold, and it, it led me down that path. Mm, yeah. I'm so curious. I love what you said about process because I'm the same way. It's like I discover things because I'm in the process of doing it. So that's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But in your mind, when you like connect your work to an influence or or something else out there, is there anything that comes mm-hmm. to mind? Like I'm even thinking like something like an animated film or what do you like associate your work with? I'm, I'm just curious about that. So I feel like for me, it's very intentional that there's there's not a clear cut connection between like a direct line between my work and something that exists in the world. I, I have this thing where like, you know, I think if you realize your patterns and how you take in information, a lot of times it happens that, you know, we're on social media or we're like browsing the internet, doing some research and we see something and we're like, Oh, I love that. And you end up sometimes just recreating that thing in the studio. And so it's it's like for me I have to make sure that I'm I see the thing, I take it in and I give myself time to sort of absorb and then put it back out there. So I try not to have, you know, a direct link because then it allows the viewer to make their own connections. Mm. Um and and I love that because they are so so weird and different that like there's so many different connections that people with their own backgrounds and their own filters they look at it and they're like oh I see this I see aliens I see coral I see you know like psychedelic stuff Um, and that's always like such a great part of the conversation when people you know they tell me what they see but as far as like what I take in for inspiration a lot of it is from the natural world so I do look at like a lot of um, you know, like plant life, mushrooms, fungus, ocean stuff, even like geography, like geology. Like, um, I really like to hike a lot. And so a lot of that experience is like going out into nature and seeing, you know, just how things have formed over time, how things have eroded away. Um, cause it's like uh, the ultimate maker, right? It's the ultimate creator, how, how things have appeared. And so I take that information in and that comes back out. Very cool. Yeah, I, I'm actually realizing in your answer why I even asked the question. And I think it's because I have some of my own associations. And so I think that's the urge, right? It's like, oh, do these match up? Like, because I think I do envision something like psychedelic inspired, otherworldly, mm-hmm. alien-like. And so I think it's that curiosity, like, oh, are you thinking that too? Um, yeah, so yeah. I love that. So I'm curious, like while we're just talking about your work and, and a bit of the aesthetics about it, your work is extremely attractive. Like I think that it's one of the inherent qualities is like you want to go up to it and touch it. And I know you've talked about that before is like people want to touch it. 
Um, but could you tell us about the role that beauty plays in your work? And I know you have some thoughts about how beauty operates in our society and how that might mm -hmm. be mirrored a bit in the way that people um, might even dismiss art or are attracted to it. So I was wondering mm -hmm. if we could just like jam on that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I, I went to art school and um, during art school, I went to undergrad and graduate. And during my graduate degree, I had a lot of, um, I butted heads a lot with some of the professors about beauty in art. And there was a sort of take on it where if something's beautiful, it's, it is, it's like it's dismissed. It's like it doesn't have content. It's like it's shallow or it doesn't mean anything because it's beautiful. And, you know, when you hear that and especially like existing in the world as a woman, right? Like how do we take in beauty? How do we like on an everyday basis, like encounter that, that idea, it's hard to not correlate the two. Like just because someone is beautiful or something is beautiful does not mean that they lack anything else. It's valid. It's there. And it just, it, it's a matter of you taking the time to delve in if you want to. And I don't know. So with, with my work, like I, I struggled with that because for me, it's very easy for me to make something beautiful. It's so natural. It's such a, you know, I'm drawn to certain things and then I want to make certain things. I'm drawn to certain colors and I want to use those colors. And when I look at my life, like my, I don't know, like my clothing choices even reflect those colors. And, you know, so it's, it's hard to like separate those things out. And I feel like uh, sometimes, yeah, it happens. Like I present work and a lot of people love my work, but then I have some people who I think are a little bit more conservative with their idea of what art is or can or can't be. And my work is dismissed in that way. Like, oh, it's, it's bright, it's colorful. So, you know, whatever. It's just, it's eye catching and it's eye candy. So it can't, it can't really have anything else going for it. And it's weird. It's a, it's a weird dynamic that I think we associate these things with beauty. But the other crazy thing is like, you think about things like the Renaissance, for example, you know, the Renaissance happened, these patrons of the art used beauty as a way to convey their messages, right? The, what they wanted to present to the world because they knew something beautiful is attractive and people like are drawn to that. And then once they're drawn in, then what? Then what, are, what else are they seeing? What else are they interpreting? So beauty is so powerful and so natural, but I don't know, there's almost like a, currently there's like a schism between the two. And I don't know, I mean, current being like maybe the past whatever hundreds of years, but I don't know, it's something I'm still working through and I think it's hard to sometimes make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, I read Grayson Perry's uh, playing to the gallery and there's just like a really quick line in there that says, one of the biggest secrets that like artists don't want to tell anybody or that they hold near and dear is that they're really in it for the beauty but it's like they have to kind of keep that very guarded because mm -hmm. because of the attitude towards it and and I think that is true I know that's certainly true for myself like of course I'm attracted to beauty I love making beautiful things but I'm curious like fundamentally why and of course, I don't expect you to have the ultimate answer to this, but I think it's just an interesting question. Like, why do you think that a conservative view of art is dismissive of beauty as having no content? Like, I wonder, do you know anything about that? I don't, but I'm curious if you do. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I, I can only speak of it in terms of like my experience going through art school. And I feel like sometimes in academia, there's this like, I don't know, there's like this, this like need to prove yourself as smart, this need to prove yourself as like, I'm, I'm conceptual and I have my work is based on research and ideas. And so if it's beautiful, 
it like takes away from it somehow. It there, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not sure why it's so weird. And the more I experience it after school, you know, like some of those, I feel like they're outdated, you know, takes on art. I, I find that I stand my ground even more like, no, it's, it's important. Beauty is important. It's how we've evolved. Like we as humans have evolved. Beauty is hand in hand with like, you know, the things that like, for example, there's this documentary called Botany of Desire, which is such a cool documentary. I think it's by Michael Pollan. Um, and it talks about how uh, certain plants like the apple has mutually benefited from its relationship with us and because of our attraction to the apple and its taste and what it can provide for us there's like thousands of different genetic variations of the apple now you know and and that evolution has happened hand in hand with us so it's like these these even like the living things around us the beautiful things they succeed so you know yeah i don't know it's like a natural instinctive thing for us babies look at beautiful things you know there's been studies that show that they like their eyes stay on beautiful things longer yeah but for some reason as we get into adulthood and maybe into like academia for art, like it becomes less and less okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting like as I'm, I'm thinking about that, it, it almost does say something about part of our culture that in a, like a more highbrow context, beauty is more dismissed. And I'm just making connections around like, yeah, maybe the fact that like joy isn't super valued or, or like other things that might be dismissed as frivolous in some sort of view. I think beauty mm-hmm. can be lumped in there and it, it says something, but I, I appreciate, and I'm very glad that with your work, you're protesting that because I would not want to live in a world where there's no beautiful art. That would be silly. <laughs> I find that um, the same idea applies to fun. Like, mm. you know, fun is another one that is often dismissed. Like if I tell people, oh, I have fun in the studio and they're like, oh, well, like, I don't think, you know, that there's, there's this, this connection with the idea of having fun, mm-hmm. but like, why not have fun? Why not have fun while you make something or create something and discover something? There is joy in that. And why would you want to be like unhappy all the time? You know, like I, I don't want to struggle through. There are struggles and it's important to have both because it's about balance. But at the same time, like if you take joy in making things, there's no shame in that. There's no, it doesn't make it any less, you know? And yeah, fun, play, joy. Yeah, all the all these positive ideas, I feel like sometimes are taken negatively. Yeah. This is, I'm also making like a bit of a stretch correlation here to, actually, this is the first time I've ever said this on the podcast, but when people come on my show, <laughs> I often ask them what they're thinking about or what's important to them. I've never actually said that on the show before. Um, and one of the, or I ask, uh, what would you love for people to know about you? And some people don't fill it out. Um, but I'm thinking about how one of the things you said is that like, you live a very healthy, balanced life. Like you meditate, you exercise, you eat healthy. I think there were other things on there and that's like Mm -hmm. part of it. And I don't think that that's very commonly associated with artists. Like I think we're kind of supposed to be seen as like (laughs) alcoholic, struggling, (laughs) tortured, (laughs) like whatever this old view is. When in reality, a lot of us are like very into self-improvement and health and and all these things. And I'm, I'm just thinking about how that's tied in as well. So I would love for you to share with us these other things that might play into your studio practice. Fun, beauty, sounds like balance, health. With my life, I find that art is the big umbrella that everything falls under. So everything I do, and if you like, if you really just take notice of the things that like come out when you're working, like you're like, oh yeah, like I thought about that one thing when I was 
or like I noticed that thing while I was driving or, you know, like there's so many things that influence you throughout the day, throughout your life that comes out in the work. And sometimes you're conscious of it. Sometimes you're not. But that's why I think it's so important to stay balanced in all the things, because if you're for me, if I'm ultimately. Like if I'm ultimately, I'm, I'm taking care of my body, then I'm taking care of my mind. If I'm eating right, then I'm feeding my body the right way and it's all connected. And so then I find that if I've had my full eight hours of sleep, I'm in the studio, I'm not tired, you know, the creative juices are flowing better and it all, it all, you know, it's almost like a domino effect. If one thing's kind of out of balance, then it throws the whole thing out of whack. And I, that's why I think it's so important to just stay conscious of all of it and you know there are times where you can't keep it all in balance because that in and of itself is can be a difficult thing for a lot of people you know and but because I have the opportunity and the the freedom as a full-time artist I definitely put effort into taking care of those things um mm -hmm. and it's I find that yeah if I get really grumpy if I if one thing is off or you know yeah yeah I am very much the same I I have no idea where this exists, this artist that like parties all night and then like goes to the studio and makes this like amazing art. Like if I don't get my full eight hours, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> so kind yeah. of actually while we're just in this area, I know something that I am breaking into on the show is also destigmatizing like use of psych psychoactive plants and psychedelics. And I'm wondering like, if that's a part of your process, um, anything you would like to share about any influences that that's had in your work, just for the sake of like presencing that, um, mm -hmm. something that's important to me to start doing too. Yeah. Um, so psychedelics, it, it's funny because when I first started, like when I first started getting more recognition for my work, like a lot of people asked me like, oh, psychedelics, do you, like, are, do they, are these works about, about that and it was weird at first because I was like oh I don't know if I should talk about it because there is a stigma around it and you know it's not decriminalized everywhere there's still like some old school kind of like propaganda era war on drugs ideas left over but I feel like the more and more I get into my career I'm like yeah let's let's talk about it because right now it's almost like they're rediscovery of psychedelics in in the field of science you know people there's been a, a lot of um research going into it as far as like what psychedelics can do specifically mushrooms um, and LSD can do for people who are like terminally ill mm -hmm. and what that what the comfort that that's bringing them dealing with I, like death and being sick and all those things and it's really positive it's like super positive and then there's studies about microdosing um, which you know has been shown to you don't get like the the psychedelic effects, but you get the like neurological um, effects, which is like, you know, it, it rebuilds those pathways in your brain. And so like, you know, people with PTSD or any kind of trauma, it helps heal. So there's just so much, so much good stuff about it. And I feel like it's a fundamental part of who I am now, having, you know, taken those things, you know, periodically throughout, throughout my life, of course, at a, at an appropriate age, <laughs> starting at an appropriate age. But, um, you know, I think it's important to talk about it also because sometimes it's like, if you don't know what you're doing and then you just take some things, then it could, it could lead down a bad road. But if we're conscious of it and we're cautious and like talking about it, then you can, you know, just have, there's just more information out there. You can know what you should do. You can know what you shouldn't do. There's a great book that I would recommend called How to Change Your Mind, mm -hmm. also by Michael Pollan. Um, mm -hmm. 
And he, it's really interesting because he talks about it uh, from the perspective of being an older, like he's older, he's in his 60s. And he talked about how, because as you get older, your personality becomes more stable, like settled. And so change becomes a little bit harder. And he took, I think he did like um, a few sessions of um, mushrooms and he said it like, it just totally shifted how he, how he felt, how he thought, um, you know, elements of his personality. And I think the big, big thing for me with psychedelics that I've realized is I feel like it's this great connector of, for people. You take it and you just feel connected to everything. Plants, animals, the earth is like alive and breathing. And this, the sense of connection is so important because I think that that's something that we lack a lot in our society currently. Empathy and connection with one another, all living things. And it's so beautiful and it's so, it's just amazing. It's like you can't, you can't even, it's, there's no way to even wrap your mind around it. But I think that if, if we all were able to responsibly take some psychedelics at some point in our lives, like we would, this connectedness would help us in how we interact with one another on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for saying all that. Very appreciated. Yeah. And I was also thinking I've, I've listened to a lot of interviews with Michael Pollan about the book, but I haven't read mm-hmm. the book. <laughs> um, but just this idea of like changing your mind and um, like even free associating, especially as an artist, like why, if it feels right for you and you're drawn to it, like why that can be so impactful. And I know it just also has been for me as well. Um, and also too, I'm glad that you mentioned microdosing because yeah, that's a huge part of my personal studio practice and I never talk about that. And so I'm just mm-hmm. that now. Um, yeah. And also the connection piece too. Yeah. Another element that I think as artists, it's like, I think we're seeking to make connections and we want to bring that into our work. And so I imagine that there's so many artists who see so much value in these substances, but they're not talking about it. I just appreciate your honesty and that, and that you are. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to switch gears just a little bit. So your work has gotten a lot of eyes because of social media and because it's awesome. Um, And I know that on a recent video, someone left a comment saying, Mm -hmm. I read the quote, good for six-year-olds and uneducated people who want to like art. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I would love to hear your reaction and your thoughts on this comment. Yeah, there's a bigger discussion there, but we can start with that. Yeah, so that... Oh, so a lot. I, I get comments like that once in a while, probably more often than than I notice because you know it's it's social media and I can't keep track of everything. But that comment really it really got me because I, I don't. You just there, <laughs> there's so much to unpack there. Like of course you know it's through the internet, so it's this person feels comfortable saying these things. Um, but so what if six year olds like it? I. Like what's wrong with that? There's, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with children enjoying art. I think that is very natural. All kids draw, all kids create. We all, we are all born, I think, wanting to make things. And so I think it's amazing if a six-year-old loves my work. I think that's great. And I like want more kids to love my work. And then the other part of that statement, which is uneducated people, like what does that even mean? Uh, is art exclusively meant for educated people and 
and how do you, how do you even quantify that? Like, do you need an MFA to look and look at and appreciate art? It's really like makes me mad, honestly, <laughs> to like to read that because I I have found I, I as I mentioned I went to school for art and I'm glad I have that background. I think it's important um, and it is what you make of it. But at the same time, now that I've been in the art world for a little bit and I have a, a you know like you said, lots of eyes on my work through social media, there's these two different audiences or multiple audiences. But one of the big ones is people who, and I, and I say this because I've had people come up to me at, in my, at my shows, at my openings, and they've said stuff like, you know, I don't even like art, but I look at your work and I love it. And it makes me want to look at more art. And I think that's so amazing. Like that somebody previously had an idea in their mind that they did not like art and and then they see something that sparks something in them and like why why would you want to keep that from anybody you know art is to be enjoyed to be seen um and it's not it's not meant for the elite i don't think i don't believe that i don't i don't believe it's only meant for people who can afford it um you know it's like would you say the same about music I don't think you would. Would you say the same about movies or film? You know, any any sort of creative outlet. I think for some reason, visual arts kind of is like being held onto tightly by some people as if it's not meant for others. And sometimes you have to stop and think, like, especially if you come from academia, the system that we're in, especially like now with everything going on in our society, the hard look that we're taking at racism, you know, sexism, all these things, the historically in art, like who's the most represented is white men. You look at all the major collections, you look at all the museum collections, you know, I think women and people of color are underrepresented. And so if you continue to push this idea of like, well, art is only meant for educated adults, then like, who are you serving? Who is that idea serving? You, you just have to like reflect on that. Yeah, it's, this is a really important conversation. I have a best friend who's a writer. Um, and her and I have this conversation a lot about like, oh, even we, her and I went to Berkeley for undergrad, which is like a privileged thing. And even us, we don't, we're like worried, like, oh, we need to sound more academic or we need to even be this way. So imagine how it is for somebody who comes from like a way less privileged background. And it's like, is, are we saying that like their art is not valid art or like their message is not valid? Because that's what it feels like when we're saying that art is this super you have to be so educated in order to like receive it or experience it and i would really like to see that that change i guess in terms i also was thinking about i know you mentioned like people feeling intimidated to go into galleries you know mm -hmm. i wonder like what do you see as the process for maybe like breaking down these walls like obviously representation is a huge one I guess I'm thinking of things like maybe talking about work in a way that's accessible or like letting something beautiful be quantified as art. Yeah. Like what are your thoughts on that? I, so actually I think there's, there is something that's happening now that is kind of bridging the gap between these two worlds. And I think it's stuff like Meow Wolf um, experiences oh, yeah. like that, Very you know? Yeah. So Meow Wolf, I went out and I, I, I went and saw like the house of eternal return. And I remember the first time I saw it, you know, I, I didn't, I knew some of the history, um, but when I, I didn't know all of it. And when I went, it was amazing because there was a line out the door of people of all ages, 
all ages, older, younger, children, kids excited. They're like, oh my gosh, mom, we got to see this. We got to see this. So that means they're coming back, right? To like see, experience this thing again. So that was amazing. And I go in and the whole time I'm just watching people. I mean, the, the installation itself is great, but what was so amazing to me was just watching the joy and fun and discovery and play that all these people of all different ages were having in this art experience. And the only other time I've seen something like that was uh, there was a, an installation by this artist named Martin Creed, who is a very conceptual artist at uh, the Nasher Sculpture Garden or Nasher Sculpture Museum here in Dallas. And it was it was another one of those experiences. It was a room full of, filled with balloons and you go in and you're just like surrounded by balloons. And you don't know where you are. Everything's staticky and people are like running into each other and laughing, having fun. And that's the only other time I've seen that. And that was such a unique experience. And that was years ago. So then when I saw Meow Wolf and I saw the same joy and the same like sense of discovery in people, I was like, this is, this is amazing. I, you, you never see this in museums. You never see people excited like that to see and experience art. And so say what you will about Meow Wolf and like those other kinds of installations. But I, because I mean, there's like, you know, there's more discussion to be had there. But I think that it does such a good job of opening the doors for people in terms of experiencing and seeing art. And it, it sort of like allows them like a step, you know, into that. So maybe someone goes to Meow Wolf as like a kid or a teenager. And they're like, wow, like, I really love this. Like, what else is out there? You know, and then that starts that that whole line of thinking, like that curiosity, you know, and then maybe they're like, oh, well, maybe I'll go see this museum show. It looks interesting. And then that gives them, you know, that the next step to take into like something they would have previously been intimidated by. And the thing with art is, you know, you're seeing things, but at the same time, like you're learning things and you're you're interpreting. And I think sometimes we forget. As, as a general population, we forget about that connection. Like we listen to music and we feel things, but we can also look at art and feel things. And I think that because it's been kind of held like a secret for so long that um, we we don't realize that. And then you see stuff like Meow Wolf and it's like, uh, it's, it's amazing, it's there. People love it and they wanna love it, you know? Um, so I think that contributes to that conversation of how we can sort of start blurring those lines. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. I was actually thinking it reminds me of times when I've been at like festivals with art installations. It almost kind of has that same, I haven't been to Meow Wolf, um, but it has that same thing where you're just like, oh, it's just, I'm just drawn to it and it resonates with me and I want to interact with it and understand it and experience it. And you totally mm -hmm. don't get that in a museum, even if the art is like beautiful and big and colorful and interactive, there's this like quiet white wall that I have to go read the description to make sure I'm getting what I'm supposed to be getting like there's a whole other protocol and I think that contributes and I'm also thinking about what you're we've touched on a couple times which is so true there's something about fine art that is like held by the elite and I'm I'm even just grappling with like yeah why is that because I've thought about that a lot in terms of music like music is this like oh it's enjoyed by whoever likes it um, and same with film and movies. And I guess those could be in the realm of entertainment. So there's like a bit of a blur there. But why do you think that is that fine art has been held? Is it, is it monetary? Is it because it's been so like created such as like micro economy for the elite or it's just an academic practice? I don't know. I guess it's both. It's probably both things. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Like, I think probably, if you, I guess if you look at the history of art, you know, there's always been like historically there's always been a patron like a king or you know like some kind of monarchy that like has uh is a patron of a certain artist and then that artist can exist you know to make art for that patron mm -hmm. and so maybe that maybe that system 
I don't know. And then like the, the classic schooling, you know, traditional art and like the salons and all that stuff. I'm not sure why, but I think that's that, that because it's so held onto that that's why when anyone like stirs the pot, it's really like, it's really like, a, like a big shaking for them. Like the whole, the whole thing. Cause like, I don't know. Yeah. It's no. just interesting. It's, it's interesting, you know, as the arena that we're playing in, it's something that I've definitely thought about a lot. And then you get comments like the ones that we're just referring to. And there's other people who really want it to be held. They really want to hold on to that. And that might just go back to climb a ladder in academia or whatever we were talking about before, but it's definitely interesting. I would very much like to see that shift. Yeah. Okay. So also in terms of you having lots of eyes on your work on social media, I'd love for us to have a conversation around like copying. Like, have you had other people copy your work? What, and I'm curious, like two parts of this, right? Like what's the best way as the artist who's being copied to like respond or like, how have you grappled with that? But then also on the other side of it for beginner artists who are just starting out and maybe they're only like their first exposure to art is social media. Like how can they decipher from influence and copying? Cause I've been on both sides of this equation. So I think it'd be interesting to talk about. This is such a, it's still something that I am working through. I think constantly, every time something new pops up, like a friend sends me something, it's still, I, I don't, it's so difficult because I totally and absolutely love that my work is being taught in schools. Like I've had teachers anywhere from like, you know, kindergarten to high school teachers who have reached out to me, who've said like, oh, you know, I'm teaching texture, I'm teaching color, I'm teaching form, and I'm using your work as an example. And that's amazing. That's so amazing that like kids are seeing my work and and, and having that be their example. Um, so I think that's great. But at the same time, I know a lot of those kids will probably see what, you know, use what they see, maybe try to recreate it as a starting point. And then wherever that leads them is great. But, you know, then I have people who it's, and it's hard for me to really straight up say someone's copying me because I also like have a hard time saying like, because that, because that implies that I have created something very original, you know, and, and I think that's a big statement to make. And I, I have a hard time saying that because I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that, you know, my work is influenced by other work and it is in the context of everything of art history. And so you can definitely find influences of my work in other artists who have come before me. And you know, maybe I'm doing something unique with it now, but there's correlation. There's a tree you could probably like, you know, um, chart. So, but for the sake of this conversation, um, you know, I think when I see someone copying my work, I think it's hard because I want them, I want them to explore. I want them to play with materials. I want them to like discover that, go through the same paths of discovery that I, I've gone through, but, you know, maybe start to deviate. Like, I work with the materials I work with, and I've learned the things I've learned, and then, you know, I fail, and I make mistakes, and I figure things out, and that's how I reach the next point. And I feel like that's why so often when people are like, how do you make this, or do tutorials, or whatever, I do share my process, but I share it kind of like a sprinkle. Like, I share it throughout interviews, and I, you know, I reference it, but I think that it's important for you to do your research. I think it's also important for you to discover things on your own because because that's such an integral part of what I do um, I feel like if I give you a tutorial that's gonna take away from your experience of making it mm. and you know because like for me it's like no one no one taught me and no one showed me how to do it I just kind of figured it out and because I had to figure it out I, I like I was, you know I there's like all these different paths you can go down when you make a mistake or you discover something new and 
you know, you take that into the next piece. So it's really tough for me to, like, I see it and I see when people like are copying my work and I, I sometimes, you know, like instinctively, I get a little upset because depending on the context too, like, okay, like for example, there was a, a girl who um, did a, her BFA thesis at a prominent art school and she presented a body of work that looked exactly like my work. Of course, not as, yeah. I'm going to say not as well done. It was not as well done. <laughs> but the only reason I heard about it was because a couple of her, um, her peers reached out to me through Instagram and was like, hey, this is upsetting and we want you to know about it. And so I looked at it. I looked her up. I, I, you know, I Googled it and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, this is plagiarism because when I, if I was in school and I was a professor, I would be, I would not accept that. That would not be a passing BFA thesis. So, you know, there's stuff like that where it's like, you're, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if you're trying to copy work that exists and then present it as your own, because there's so much more in there that you can like, you can use my work as a starting point and then like deviate off of that and discover things I've never discovered or figure things out I've never figured out and make those connections. And I think that's like amazing and beautiful. And I encourage that. But I also feel like there's, I don't, and I don't, I don't really know where the line is, but I know how I feel and react to those things. And I still have it 100%, you know, like let it go. But um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, that's just how I look at it. That's how I choose to look at it is that it's a positive thing. And, you know, even if someone's straight up copying me and they continue doing that, really they're doing themselves a disservice because there's so much more to be learned from that process than just copying. And so that's just kind of how I have to deal with it because it's going to keep happening. And I think the more and more kids are influenced, especially like this new, this next generation, if my work is being taught in schools, I'm probably going to start, I'm going to see more of it as time goes on. And, you know, my work will keep growing. And it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm worried about like, someone coming in and taking you know like taking my work or anything like that but yeah yeah <laughs> no I appreciate all the insights because yeah I love what you said about like a re the reason you don't teach your process is because like the your work is the way it is because of the discoveries you made mm -hmm. um and that's important for other people to go through as well um and that's even just not necessarily in a copying context but food for thought for myself unlike new mediums I might want to try. And I'm like, dang, there's not a class I can take on this. That's annoying. That would be faster. Um, yeah. But the fact is, is that like your style develops because you have to figure it out yourself. So I think that's just a great point. And then, so just in terms of the, the copiers, I'm curious, like, have you ever reached out to them? Have you ever dealt with it directly? Has your mode to just be like, I got to look the other way? I go through like, <laughs> I, I go through like a back and forth all the time. Every time I feel like when I, if I, if someone shares with me something like a friend reaches, usually this is how I find out is that someone I know or someone I don't know is like, Hey, this work looks like yours, or it looks like it was inspired by you, or, you know, this is copying or whatever. That's usually how I find it. And, you know, I have to kind of like, I look at it and I have all the feelings I have. And generally I don't say anything. Yeah. So someone, this person reached out to me and they told me that, you know, they were, they had been just having a really hard time personally, like they're in their personal lives. And, and then they weren't, they saw my work and were super inspired to make, make it, make the work. And so they sent me pictures of, of essentially what looked like my, like my early drips. And of course they credited me and everything like that. So it was, it, it was interesting because like, I was very happy for them that like, you know, they found something that inspired them so much. 
and I would never take that away from them. So, you know, I just responded in a positive way. But of course, like inside, I felt like a little, you know, just it's I think it's very natural to feel like a little twinge of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot the question. you asked. <laughs> Oh, no, I was just asking, like, have you ever responded to these people? Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, like if, if they direct message me, if it's someone who is like inspired by me and they direct message me, I'm always just very positive because I think. I'm, I'm very happy that my work has been seen. Like I look at the big picture. That's usually how I try to look at it. The big picture, what's really happening here. Somebody has seen my work that in and of itself is amazing that my work has that kind of spread and, and reach. And then the fact that it sparked something inside of them and they like were so inspired that they bought some, you know, polyurethane foam, they bought some resin and they're like, I'm going to try this. That's amazing. So I think when I respond, to those kinds of, of messages and um, people, it's I, I have to stay positive because I wouldn't want to take it away anything away from them. Um, as far as like you know the ones that are sent to me by other people, I usually just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard because I don't want to. I feel like you know with social media, you spend a lot of energy if you yeah. get into those kinds of um, back and forths with people. There's a lot of like mental and emotional energy that goes into it and you can get caught up in it and you can spend hours just like hours <laughs> you know like thinking of responses typing out full responses and then deleting them and you know all that stuff so I usually I just see it you know I like maybe I save it just so I can like go back and see if you know they they have deviated you know or anything like that um, but usually I just don't say anything yeah yeah I totally get what you're saying it's a huge energy drain I mean even like the smallest comment that I, and I do this very rarely because of my personality, but like that I might disagree with somebody. I mean, it could be like days of energy. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very sparingly. Um, So the last thing I kind of want to touch on here is, and it's a little bit of a jump off from what we were just talking about, but as somebody who has created something that is like it lands with so many people, people love it, you know? And, um, you've been able to generate so many eyes on your work. I think because of that, what advice would you have for other artists who might want to accomplish the same thing? I think the most important thing, especially today with how much is just how much is out there is developing your voice. I think that's really important. And I think that that's what people want to see. They want to see something that is special. And I think that's what resonates with them. I think for me, you know, like, like we talked about with my process and like the, the discoveries that I've made. And then, you know, like, because I'm so in the process, then that leads to other discoveries. Then it, it almost becomes so like, so specific that there's no other way. There's like no other way it could exist. So because I've taken the, I've made the choices that I've made and I've gone down the paths that I've gone down. Eventually, I think it just becomes so uniquely you. It becomes truly your expression. And so I think that that's, that's how I developed my voice. And I feel like that's maybe a path that others can take um, to develop theirs is finding something you love and are super interested and just diving real deep into it. And I think I had a really hard time learning that too, because for me, I'm very naturally like, oh, I want to try this. I want to try that. You know, I want to, I want to like, I want to have my toe in every, like every little pool. And for a long time, especially when I was younger, that's how I worked. I would like work on this one thing and then like switch gears and work on this other thing. And when I got to um, grad school, that's when I really had to hone in and focus. And it was really hard for me to dedicate myself to one thing. And I found that through that, because there is some struggle, if that's not your natural, if that's not how you naturally are, then, you know, sometimes there's like, 
you know, there's some um, resistance there. And I think it's important to push through those, those resistances um, because on the other side of it, you discover more. And because you're, de you're diving so deep into something, it starts to become very special and unique. I think to you, I would say that's pretty much like why people are attracted to my work because it is different and because it's something they haven't seen before. And I think that we can, we can like, everyone has their own voice. Everyone has something special and everyone has, you know, that each person's filter is different because of everything that's influenced your life. So I think if we can like tap into that. Um, I think it resonates with a lot of people, even if it's uniquely you, it speaks to a lot of other people because I think we all have that, right? Like mm -hmm. we can recognize it and we can, we can see it and understand it. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that was great. I'm, I'm so on board with what you're saying. And one thing I'm really taking away from it is, is this element of commitment, you know, it's like definitely finding your own voice in the process and being you, but what you're saying about like how it is really, I'm, I struggle with this too. It is really hard to niche down, but you can see that in your work, like because you dove in so deep with that and within the process that that really shows, at least it sounds like mm -hmm. that's what you were speaking to. Um, okay. So before I let you go, what is next for you? Do we have more drips and blobs coming our way? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's really, it's, I make myself anxious sometimes thinking about this because it's, you want to see yourself improve. You want to see like, you know, the growth and the process, the, the progress. And, and sometimes when you're in it, it's really hard to like see that and get distance away from it. So I become anxious sometimes thinking about like, oh, you know, like what's next, but I have had enough time now to like be able to reflect on my own process and my own, like, you know, natural um, way of being that I can't, I can't just like jump from one thing to another now. Like I, I have to, there has to be like a natural evolution of the work. So I just have to trust the process and understand that change comes when it comes and you can't force it. So, um, as far as I know, I definitely foresee more drips and blobs and I think mm -hmm. that they're just going to keep evolving out of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope to, uh, I mean, I have a couple large, um, large outdoor installations that I've done, but I hope to continue doing that and going bigger and, um, you know, just taking over more spaces with my work. Um, I'm very personally, very interested in installation art. And so not that I necessarily foresee my work being installation art, but I think that it's a pretty natural place that I see the work going. Uh, I have, you know, and a few other things I hope that will happen soon in the, in the near future is um, getting a big drip on a building somewhere, oh, uh, you know, that. like being, it's, it's cool because I, I know a lot of like street artists and a lot of muralists and, you know, they always like with, with murals, you can make such a big imprint on a city, on a landscape. And, you know, you can, there can be like a, a picture of a skyline and you can see someone's mural, like that kind of scale. And I think it would be just amazing to, <laughs> to have um, that scale, but with a sculpture somewhere, you know? Yeah. I would love to see that. Would love yeah. to see it in my city. Please come to Southern California. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know, if anyone has any connections out there and wants to make it happen, I'm here. <laughs> yes. If you're listening to this and you can make a big drip happen on a building, please contact I or Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been so exciting and insightful. I really appreciate your time. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation as well. Oh, great. We'll talk to you soon. How truly awesome was that? I'm just beyond grateful that Dan came on to 
have that conversation and share all that with us. Um, you can definitely check out her work in the show notes. We also dropped like a couple resources and books throughout this conversation, and those are all linked for you in the show notes as well. Definitely go exploring there. Um, other than that, that's it for today's episode. Like I mentioned at the beginning, please leave us a review or a rating if you get a chance. Please follow us on Instagram at Art and Magic Podcast and share the episodes you're listening to. Let me know what resonated um, and what your takeaways were. That's always really exciting for me to see. Other than that, that's a wrap for today. And until next time, I'm sending you lots of love and tons of magic. <laughs>